Last week, I just returned from vacation. Uh, one of the favorite places I love to go to is Yosemite. So I think I brought a picture here of some of the sites there. And, and Yosemite is where, one of the places where I love to go camping. I've taken many families up. I've taken my own family. I've taken youth up there. And it's a great way just to experience nature. And it's through nature that, that for me at least, I feel close to God. Because when you see places like that where there are just mountains and trees and rivers, it's just an amazing sight of God's creation. And, and nature in itself is beautiful. But you know, there's one thing that sadly ruins my experience in nature. And you know what that is? It's actually people. (laughs) So even when you go camping and you're in the wilderness, there are other people. And by human nature, people are not always the most perfect, gracious people. They're always kind of making uh, a mess of campsites, and sometimes they're just totally rude. But, you know, that's... The thing that, as followers of Jesus Christ, we can't avoid people. We're actually called to love them. God commands us to love people. And actually, that's such an audacious kind of commitment that we as a church have actually put it in our mission statement. Now, that's a crazy thing, right? We, we have in our mission statement that we would love God, love people, and serve the world. So we're serious about that. And if we're going to do that, we have to learn how to love people in a way that not, not in the way that we would want to, but in the way that God wants us to. And if we are truly followers of Jesus Christ, then we're going to love as Jesus loves. And that's the purpose of our series that we're going through right now, a love like this, where we're looking at how Jesus loved others, and through his modeling, we would also love others. Now, if we are honest, it's not a real easy thing to do, especially when the people we are planning to love are very hard to love, right? So I know some of you out there are, are struggling to love because maybe you have a newborn or an infant and you're sleep-deprived because every two hours you have to go feed your child. Or maybe in your household you're having constant conflicts with a rebellious teenager who's trying to strut their own stuff at this time in their life. Or some of you I know are struggling with dealing with an elderly parent who in their aging process maybe is not aging in a gracious or very um, amenable way at this time in their life. But they're family, right? So with family, you can kind of uh, force yourself to love them because that's the right thing to do. But, you know, this call that God gives to us to love others doesn't have any restrictions. There's no qualifications. It's generally, it's just to say, we are to love people. That means all people. And that can be hard for some of us when other people are different from us, whether it's from the color of their skin, their faith, their socioeconomic status, their education level, even the neighborhoods they're from. Those could be challenges for us to be able to love them in the way that Jesus wants us to love them. Maybe it's it's a a very unreasonable boss at work. Maybe it's a a neighbor who's not very compliant or very cooperative who lets their dog bark at all hours of the night. But, you know, 
as I said, there is no qualifications about who we are to love. All those situations, have you been there? I know I have. So what do we do? What the scripture tells us, we're supposed to be like Jesus. And Jesus loves in a way that only God can love because he only does what the Father in heaven does. And so that's our model, is that we are to follow Jesus and how he loves, who loves just as the Heavenly Father does for him. And this is my main idea. If you can remember anything from my message, it's this. When love is hard, our love depends on God. So when love is hard, our love depends on God. Very simple concept, but it's a very meaningful truth. Because in our culture, a lot of us are more dependent on our own resources, right? We, we belong to an American culture that says that you can do it, that, that we are to depend on ourselves and not on anyone else. But that kind of thinking, that kind of philosophy will fail if you're going to try to love as God loves. It's impossible, actually. You can only love with the power of God, and that requires a tremendous amount of dependence on him, especially when love comes hard. And so that's this morning's passage from Matthew 18, and that's what I'm going to look at this morning as a way of looking at some practical tips that God gives us as how we are going to love those, especially those that are hard to love. So from Matthew 18, verse 21 through 35, the scripture says that Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, if you don't, are not familiar with Peter, the disciple Peter is kind of a, know, fly by the pants, kind of off the cuff kind of guy who says things before he thinks. So he's kind of out there sometimes. And he, he comes to Jesus and he asks this question, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? Now, back in those days, rabbis often taught that it's okay to, and actually it's really generous, to forgive somebody up to three times. So when Peter is saying seven times, he's going beyond what's usually conventional. So he's thinking he's being even more generous and by saying, can I, do I have to forgive him seven times? And he uses the number seven because in biblical times, number seven represents perfection, wholeness. So he picks the number seven saying, this is the perfect number, right, Jesus? I can forgive them seven times. If somebody hurts me, I can only have to forgive them seven times. But Jesus says in the following verses, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. So Jesus is saying that it goes even beyond seven times. It's actually limitless. Some translations say it's not 77 times. It's actually seven times 77, which is a lot of times. The scripture continues, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And he's he's telling us there that the king represents God. The kingdom of heaven is like a king, and the king is being God. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be be sold to repay the debt. 10,000 talents is a lot of money. It's essentially, if you translate today, it would be multiple millions of dollars. So this servant had a big debt to the king. And in that culture, it was not unusual. If you couldn't pay your debts, they could throw you in jail as a consequence, and also 
by throwing you in a jail, they would force your family, if they didn't throw the rest of your family in jail, to pay, pay the ransom, essentially, to get you out of jail. Or they would sell you to in slavery to, to work off your debts. But here, the servant owed multiple millions of dollars, and he couldn't pay it back. And the scripture tells us he fell on his knees before the king, and he, and he said, be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. And the servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. So Jesus teaching this parable, the first thing we see that God does, the king, he has compassion on the, the servant who owed him a lot of money. The scripture says as pity. That's another way of saying compassion. So when love is hard, and that's the first point for us to, to, rem- to remember, when love is hard, our love depends on God because God has compassion. And then God has compassion on us, so we should have compassion for others. Now, having compassion, as I said, is, it's just like loving, right? Loving is hard. Having compassion for others is hard. Not all of us are naturally compassionate. I have to be honest, I'm not really a compassionate guy. God has had to make a big uh, transformation in me to be more compassionate. And that's, that's okay. It's a journey. But having compassion, if, if that's a problem with you, this is one thing I suggest. It's a concept called holding space, to hold space for someone. And it's a, it's a principle that's taught by a woman named Heather Plett, and she writes this. What does it mean to hold space for someone else? It means that we are willing to walk alongside another person in whatever journey they're on without judging them, making them feel inadequate, trying to fix them, or trying to impact the outcome. When we hold space for other people, we open our hearts, offer unconditional support, and let go of judgment and control. To truly support people in their own growth, transformation, grief, we can't do it by taking their power away, meaning trying to fix their problems, or shaming them, implying that they should know more than they do, or overwhelming them, giving them more information than they're ready for. We have to be prepared to step to the side so that they can make their own choices, offer them unconditional love and support, and give gentle guidance when it's needed and make them feel safe when they make mistakes. So that's what it means to hold space. So what's an example of that? To, to not shame somebody, not to uh, judge them, not to give them more information than they need, giving them room to be who they are and make their own decisions. Uh, a couple of months ago, my, my daughter, who's on the East Coast, came back for a home visit, and I went to pick her up at the airport, and, and the first thing she tells me as soon as she jumps into my car uh, at the airport is, uh, is Dad, we, we, we have to go to the DMV. I said, uh, no hellos, no uh, uh, thank yous for picking you up. She says, I've got to go to the DMV. And I said, okay, why, why the DMV? And she said, I lost my wallet. And so in my mind, I'm, I'm, I... I Consciously, I'm thinking, how can you lose your wallet? <laughs> and, 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 but I didn't say anything. So learning to hold space, I just said, okay. You know, it's very difficult to get uh, an appointment at the DMV. Or either you go wait in the long lines or, or, or just uh, 
try your chances online. And, and she said, well, doesn't matter. I'm here for three days, but we got to get there because I need to get a new license, right? I need to get an ID card. And so I bit my tongue and just knew what she needed as opposed to scolding her. And, you know, she's an adult now, and, but, you know, as in the, your children will always be your children. And, and people will do things that they know is stupid or out of their control, and it's not my place to tell them, well, how did you do that? or shame them in any way, or judge them. So that was a moment where I, I, I stopped and just said, okay, let's look online, let's see if you can get an appointment. And, and I, my wife took care of the rest with her, uh, taking her to the DMV. But that's an example of holding space, not judging them, not uh, allowing them to make their own decisions, and, and essentially trying not to, to make them be something that they're not. It's not easy. It's a very human tendency to want to fix people, to give them advice or judge them. But to hold space is what we're supposed to do if we are to be compassionate for them. And if we can't do, uh, be compassionate, and if it's difficult to, to understand this concept of holding space, then something else I would suggest us learn to be is to be empathetic. Now, to have empathy is different from having compassion. It's a little bit nuanced. Having compassion is just that you, you feel that someone else has a particular need. To have empathy is actually to put yourself into their place, right? To put yourself in their shoes. And there are certain situations that there's no way we could ever have the same uh, experience that someone else is going through, right? There are some horrible experiences that we can't ever say, I, I know how you feel, because there's just no way. But empathy is the process of trying to do that. And sometimes we can do that successfully. When, when I was camping in Yosemite, as I said, there are, the problem with, with the beautiful nature is that there are people out there in nature too. And uh, on our f- first day of camping at the campsite, there are certain rules that you're supposed to abide by. And, but there's sometimes what I call uh, the spirit of the law kind of thing. Uh, one of the things that when you're at a shared campsite, there's the water facilities where you get potable water, water that you can use to drink or wash your dishes with. And there is a sign that says you're not supposed to wash your dishes at the, at the faucet because, one, it, it creates a line because there's a lot of people waiting for the, the fresh water. And also you don't want to have heavy debris uh, f- food uh, on your pots and plant, uh, pans so that when you're rinsing it, it goes onto the ground, right? Because that, that would be unsanitary. It also attracts uh, animals and critters. So that's a good rule, not to wash your dirty dishes at the, um, at the pump, at the faucet. Uh, a couple of our, our uh, kids that are in the part of the families I go camping with, they, they were rinsing dishes, but they were rinsing dishes that had already been washed. So there was a little bit of soap water on it, and they were just rinsing it. So in, my, in our minds, for a lot of the campers, that's okay. I mean, it, it, there is a drain, and it just goes into the drain. Uh, and the dishes are kind of rinsed once, but re-rinsed again at the faucets. So that's a lot easier. And it wasn't anybody waiting. This is like late, late morning. Everybody had already gone hiking or done something. So, but there's this one particular woman who was walking past there, and said to the kids, you can't do that. You can't wash your dishes there. 
And the mom of the kids come running out, just like a, a mama bear. <laughs> and, you know, here's this, because she says it in a way that all of us could hear it. And she comes running and, and said, excuse me, excuse me, um, what, can I help you? And she explains, you know, you can't do that. And my friend was saying, okay, we understand, and, and, she, and trying to bite her tongue not to snap at her uh, for being a little bit uh, inflexible. But this woman, uh, for whatever reason, she was an elderly woman, you know, typical stereotype, white-haired, Caucasian woman. And she didn't look like she was really ready to go camping because she was wearing, you know, white, white pants. I mean, who goes camping in white pants? It's, it's going to be black by the end of the day, but it, she was wearing white pants. And so we said, okay, it's just, you know, some people are just a little bit, a little bit very particular and very type A and follow the rules. So that incident was in the morning. Now, later that afternoon, I was uh, having a little bit of hunger pangs. So one thing about camping in Yosemite is kind of convenient. There's actually a pizza stand close by. (laughs) (laughs) So I biked over to to the pizza stand to get a pizza. And as I'm standing there in the pizza line, I I hear this woman screaming at at the server, this is a really crappy hot dog. And I looked and I said, oh, my goodness, it's that woman from camp <laughs> wearing her white pants. And, 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 and the first thing I'm thinking, I'm in right line behind her, and, and I'm thinking, this is a pizza stand. Why are you ordering a hot dog? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. But, you know, people make their choices. And I looked at the hot dog. Yeah, it looked pretty sad. But there's no way you should be yelling at the National Park Service person who's just doing their job and saying, oh, this is a crappy hot dog. And, and, and so I started to bite my tongue because, again, I, I, I'm trying to express holding space for this person because I have no idea of what she's going through. And at least she said to the, to the, to the ser- server, I'm just having a crappy day that I'm sorry that I'm being crabby, but I'm hungry, I'm tired, and, and I just want something to eat. And, and that was a moment there that I was starting to try to empathize with this woman of, I didn't know where she was coming from, what she was having, in her, what's going on in her life. And sometimes we have to realize that before, even though their actions could be so obnoxious that we don't judge them, criticize them, or put them in their place. And, and to learn how to be empathetic, a lot of us, it's something that's, that all of us are required to do. It doesn't mean that if you're a teacher, a coach, instructor, even a healthcare provider, a lot of us have to learn how to be empathetic. But as a parent, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a Christian, we need to learn to be empathetic. Uh, there's a clip I want us to see, and it's done really well by a hospital about how to be empathetic. So let's see that video together. At the end of that video, it makes those questions, right? If you could see what they see, hear what they hear, feel what they feel, what would you think? You know, there's a person I know who does that, and that's God. That God knows what you see, he knows what you hear, he knows what you feel, and he understands you. And that's called compassion. The second thing that I want us to learn about when love is hard, 
and our love depends on God, we need to forgive others because we know that we are forgiven ourselves. And that's the second part of verse 27 in Matthew 18. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Have you ever had to forgive someone to go that extra mile to do that? It's really hard, especially if someone has done something to hurt you, to do damage to you. I had this um, episode that happened uh, when my son was in high school. And I think he was a junior at that time. And during junior year, right, a lot of high school kids, uh, they go on their junior prom, right? So the big anxious moment is to ask somebody and then to see if they will say yes. And guys have to go through that and making that kind of invitation. So my son invited this girl to, to, to the prom, junior prom, and she said yes. But then a few weeks later, she tells him, oh, I can't go. And she doesn't really tell the reason why she can't go, but she did say yes. And my son was cool. I said, okay, that's fine. I'll, I'll find uh, someone else to go with. Apparently, this girl had a boyfriend. And she didn't tell my son that she couldn't go because her boyfriend said no. Makes sense, right? <laughs> but she didn't tell him. And, and so this guy was not in high school anymore. He was actually in college. He, he was kind of a jealous type. And he was angry. So on Facebook, which is not the smartest thing to do, he blasted my son and said, I know where you live, I know what kind of car you drive, and I will do harm to you next time I see you. So that's a threat. And my son didn't tell me this. It's something he said, okay, this is an idiot. Just putting something out there. And, you know, all his friends saw it. That's, again, not the great, greatest thing to do on Facebook, which is social media, so the rest of the world knows. And, and so... Shortly after that, that threat, um, this is, uh, my son was playing uh, recreational badminton, so a bunch of them went to the community center to go play badminton uh, in the city that I live in. And there, there was that guy who happens to be also the uh, a volunteer assistant badminton coach at, at my son's high school. And so they saw each other, but then they didn't talk. They later, as typical, they go get something to eat after, after playing. So my son had just gotten his license, so he's a good kid, so you know he can't drive in the first year with other passengers, right, in your car. So he told his friends, I can't drive, so I have to leave my car here in the parking lot at the community center. And then we can go in your cars and go get something to, to, to eat. Actually, he went to a boba place. And, and, and while they're there, this other guy... Uh, was there, and they saw each other, but that guy, seeing my son, got up and left, and he, knowing that my son's car, which is my car, is actually in a parking lot, so I think I have a picture of what he did to my car, okay, so he, he slashed all four tires, now, my son calls me at about 11.30 at night, I'm ready to go to bed, and then my son says, I can't drive home, can you come pick me up, and I said, Why? He said, uh, well, the car has four flat tires. And I said, how did a car get four flat tires? <laughs> that, which is not a common thing, right? So he's, he, he said, well, somebody 
slashed him. And I, he said, can you come pick me up? I said, no, I'm not going to come pick you up. I'm going to go, or I'll go and drive you there, and then we've got to wait to get my car towed to somewhere safe. Because one, I thought, okay, if somebody uh, essentially immobilized my car, I wasn't sure why they did that. A lot of times that's a crime of convenience where they immobilize your car, and they will then come and take the car away, right? Because you can't drive it. If you have one tire, you can replace it. But with four, pretty impossible. So I just went and towed it to, to a tire center and kept it safe there. Then as we're driving there, I said, um, do you have anybody who happens to have a grudge against you? Because this is a pretty intentional crime. And he said, well, there is this one guy who, who's a little upset at me, and he made threats to me. And I said, oh, okay. Now, there was no eyewitnesses to this, to this crime. And talking to some of my police friends, they said, you just still go ahead and report it to the police because they like to have it on record. And if there is kind of a, a serial guy doing it, there's something there. But then they can also do some investigation. So I did go to the police, uh, police station, made a report, and then I showed them a log because my son is pretty tech savvy. He, he guy erased the, the Facebook comment, um, but once it's on the Internet, you can find it. <laughs> And so my son went through his logs, got a copy of it, of what the kid said. And so when you bring it to the police, post 9-11, any kind of threats done on the internet is a felony. So this, this guy, unbeknownst to him, committed a felony by doing bodily harm threat to my son. Then also the damage to my car is a felony. So he's an adult now, he can go to jail for serious time. And so uh, I told the police officer, there's no eyewitnesses. And they told me, but, you know, we suspect it is this person. And they said, well, if he did it, we'll get it out of him. <laughs> so trust, trust your police. So they went to the, the kid's house, they, the, the young man, he did confess. And the police called me and said, he, you know, Mr. Yim, we ask that you don't press charges. First they asked me to press charges. That's the only way they can go to the person's house. But then after... They, the kid, I said they call him a kid, but he's a young adult. The, the young man uh, confessed. He said, don't press charges. He said he'll make restitution. And then I was really angry. Uh, if, you, if you were there, my wife would testify to this. I was ready to kill the kid, right? Uh, he threatened my son. And then if you threatened my son or a family member, then you threatened me. And then he damaged my car, uh, which is a no-no. <laughs> I was really upset. And so I was ready to go back to my roots and then have this kid taken care of, take care of some of my friends. Uh, but my wife talked me out of it and said, let's go the right way and, and be like Jesus. Now, you know, when, when your wife says that, be like Jesus, that's really condemning and really uh, <laughs> convicting. So I, 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 I held my anger and said, okay, let's let the kid, let the young man pay restitution. So I wanted to meet with him. So I did meet with him, and I told him, you know, that was a really dumb thing you did because you don't know who you're messing with. If you mess with the wrong person, you can get hurt too. But fortunately, I'm a man of God. <laughs> I'm actually a pastor, so I am above that. And I, I will forgive you for what you did. And, and then 
and you did say you were going to take care of it. Now, at that time, uh, apparently his parents weren't in the country. Uh, he's in, uh, they're overseas. He's, his sister, his older sister is a guardian, and she told him, uh, Mom and Dad's not going to help you. This is on you. <laughs> the, kid, uh, the young man looks at me and he says, well, I can't pay you all at once. I have to make payments. And there I'm thinking, I just forgave you f- and not sending you to jail for what you did. Now you're asking me for a loan? <laughs> so that's, that's like putting salt on the wound. But okay, I said, that's fine. You can make payments. So he did eventually pay it off. But that was a test for me, essentially, to, to, to really forgive somebody who did something pretty bad towards my family and myself. But the scripture says we are to forgive them, not just once, not just twice, but 77 times. But essentially, just keep on forgiving them because God forgives us. But some of you, I know, after even hearing that story and comparing it to some of the stories in your life about forgiveness, you find it impossible to forgive somebody who's done something maybe hyenas towards you or someone that you know. But the scripture, again, it says, doesn't make any qualifications. Forgiveness is what we are supposed to do. And when love is hard, really hard, Our love must depend on God to love others because God first loved us. And that's what it says here in the parable in Matthew 18. After the the king forgives that servant that owed him millions of dollars, he begged him, I can't pay, but I will pay over time. And the master did forgive him. But he turns around in the latter part of that parable when someone else owes him essentially what it said, denarii's. 100 denarii or silver coins, that's essentially maybe three months' pay. So there's a big discrepancy in amount of debt. But this servant who just got forgiven his debt turns around and he's strangling this guy. He says, you owe me three months' pay. And he doesn't forgive him. And he actually throws him to jail. And, and other servants are upset and they tell the master what this, this ungrateful uh, servant did. And the master pulls that ungrateful servant and says, I will not treat you with mercy, and I will also torture you and throw you into jail until you pay me back too. And Jesus is teaching this, is that there is a consequence when we are not willing to forgive, forgive others, especially if we follow Jesus Christ. Because God has forgiven us through his Son, and because we are forgiven of all of our debts, then we are to forgive the debts of others against us. And some of us, for some of us, this is very hard to hear. Because are there sins that are so horrific that they cannot be forgiven? Theologically, I don't know of any. But practically, a lot of us are saying, yeah, there are some. I was faced this dilemma in uh, 1996. Uh, at the time, uh, some of you know I'm a dentist, so I actually worked uh, a few days in the jail systems down in Santa Clara County. And, and there, back in 1966, I worked on a particular man who was uh, going through a trial for a terrible thing he, that he committed. And I think I brought a picture of him. I don't know if some of you recognize who that is. 
That is Richard Allen Davis. He is actually a man that's known for the three strikes uh, law, uh, responsible when a uh, criminal takes, makes uh, three crimes and you've already done a previous felony, you get thrown into jail for life. So he was not a very popular man for that among inmates, and he's not a very popular among the public for the act that he committed. Because in 1993, he kidnapped a, a young girl, a 12-year-old girl uh, named Polly Class and out of, uh, at a slumber party in Petaluma. He kidnapped her, committed lewd acts with her, and then he murdered her by strangulation. And then later he confessed to this and, and brought the police authorities to her body, to the young girl's body. And so he was being held in the main jail in San Jose for trial. And during that time, he's considered a maximum security inmate. Uh, he dressed in all, all red. He's chained. Uh, he has to be escorted by uh, multiple guards. Uh, when he moves from one place to the other in the jail system, the whole place goes into lockdown. Uh, and that means this is a, a multi-story building where the jail is, and the dental clinic is on fourth floor or something like that. So he was being moved from his cell in isolation to, to the dental clinic where I was working. And when he does that, there is no movement. He is the highest level of security, meaning the roads around the jail are shut down because when, when inmates are moved, that is a prime time for escape or someone trying to come and help them escape. So they, they, they secure the building around. There's no traffic movement. Nobody, the elevators all shut down except for one particular one that shuttles him from where he is to that. So everybody has to take time out from the work schedule to wait for him to come to the clinic. And he comes heavily guarded because not only does the public not like him, the other inmates don't like him. So people are ready to kill him on site. He was so hated, nobody wanted to treat him. But, you know, he has rights. He is a human. And as a health care provider, you would want your health care provider to not have that kind of bias, right? It would be terrible if I don't like you and you're on your surgery table and, and do some terrible things to you. <laughs> and that's, you know, that's a... Shout out to all my doctors and friends out there. You know, we have to treat people we don't like because that's our calling. And we can't be prejudiced or biased. Whoever's there, we serve them and do the best we can for them. So no other dentist wanted to treat him. And then I find him on my schedule because everybody knows it's Calvin. It's that like that cereal commercial. Mikey will do it. And Calvin, Calvin will do it. And so, sure. I saw the gentleman on my, my schedule, and I said, okay, I'll treat him. It's no problem. It's, it's just a person. So he, he there, I treated him. But that was an, a, a chance where I could actually minister to him. So I took care of his needs, and I actually prayed for him. But as a man of God, that is what God calls me to do, is to love others because God loves me first. And no matter how terrible that person is, no matter what kind of terrible acts that person has done. I'm called to love them because Jesus loves him. Those are two stories that, 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 that I, I have given where Jesus is teaching us that forgiveness ought to be in direct proportion to the amount forgiven. 
The first servant had been forgiven all, and he in turn should have forgiven all. A child of God has had all his sins forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ. Therefore, when someone sins against him, he ought to be willing to forgive from the heart, no matter how many times it takes. I gave two stories, right, from my, my life. One about the tire slashing and at the jail about people that, that needed to be forgiven and it may be hard to forgive, but I forgave them and, and, and was able to meet their needs. Well, here's, a, here's, here's a, an amazing story that, that went viral on the Internet. And I don't know if some of you have seen this, this video. It's, it's a, a rocky Christian girl who forgives ISIS for driving her family out of their home into a refugee camp, where they ended up into a refugee camp. The ISIS uh, rebels had brutalized, murdered, raped this girl's people in in Iraq. But she has such the love of God that she forgives them. And I want to see a video that, that, that this reporter is interviewing her and she explains why she does this. واحنا موجودين هنا في المخيم لقينا بنوته فوجئتني هي بتقول ان هي بتفرج على ليش هيك واسمها مريم ازيك يا مريم زينه انت كيفك انا زي الفل انت بتتفرجي على ليش هيك فعلا ايوه حبي ست سيفن كيدز ايه انت فين بلدك جاي من قراقوش برضو ايوه من قراقوش انا طيب انت عندك 10 سنين مش كده ايوه طيب قولي لي انت بقالك قد ايه هنا في المخيم أربعة أشهر. إيه أكتر حاجة أنت حاسة إن هي كنت بتحبيها في كراكوش مش موجودة هنا دلوقتي في المخيم؟ كان عندنا بيت وكنا متونسين بس يعني هنا ما متونسين بس الحمد لله يعني الله سترنا. قصدك إيه؟ يعني إيه الله سترنا؟ يعني الله حب حبنا و... وما قبل يعني يقتلونا داعش. طيب أنت حاسة قد إيه ربنا بيحبك صح؟ ايوه ربنا بيحبنا كلنا مو مو بس انا كل الناس يحبوهم الله وانت شايفه ان ربنا كمان بيحب الناس اللي ممكن تبقى اذتك وزعلتك ولا لا يحبوهم بس ما يحب الشيطان طب انت شايفه انت حاسه بايه ناحيه الناس اللي ممكن تبقى خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك ما راح اسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم وانت تقدري تسامحيهم كمان ايوه بس دي حاجه صعبه قوي ولا حاجه سهله ان انا اعرف اسامح الناس اللي تعبتني يا مريم ما راح اقتلهم يعني ليه اقتلهم بس بس زعلانه ليه طلعوني من بيتنا طلعونا من بيتنا طيب انت مش بيجي لك وقت كده تبقي زعلانه بتحسي ان يسوع سابك مثلا مرات يعني ابكي على البيت مالتنا ابكي على قرقوش بس ما ازعل انه الله يعني سابنا من قرقوش يعني رحنا من قرقوش اشكره لانه سترنا وجابنا لنا حتى اذا متبهدلين هنا بس الحمد لله الله سترنا انت علمتيني حاجات كثير قوي شكرا و... وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا علمتني يعني ما علمتني يعني حسيت بمشاعري حسيت بمشاعري انا كان عندي مشاعر 
واريد يعني يعرفون الناس ايش هي مشاعر هذول الاطفال اللي اللي هنا وانت عارفه ان يسوع مش هيسيبك ابدا صح ما راح يسيبنا اذا مؤمنه وثابته بينه ما راح يسيبني That, that's a, a beautiful testimony, right, of God's love. If you didn't catch that, that the, the little girl Miriam says that uh, she was thankful for the opportunity for her to be able to express herself, to, to share with, with the reporter and the world how she feels. And that's what empathy is, is to feel what others feel. And she was able to do that, and she's thankful for that. But that's an amazing expression of what God's love means to a, to a true believer. 1 John 4, verses 19 through 21 says, We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, yet hates his brother, he is a liar. For anyone who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And he has given us this command, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's a pretty high standard. That scripture is saying here, that if we truly say that we love God, which is our mission and our calling, and then if we are to love, then we are to love people. But if we don't love people, then there is no way we can love God. Pretty convicting. To love people is a way of loving God. When love is hard, our love does depend on God. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. If you have not turned over your life to Jesus today, I encourage you to make that step because by doing so, you will experience a freedom from your sins, from your transgressions, from your debts that nothing else will be able to free you. And knowing that, you will be able to live a life where you'll be able to bless others through your love. When love is hard, our love depends on God. To have compassion for others, to forgive others knowing we are forgiven, to love others because God first loved us. And Jesus loves you and me. And I know this because the scripture tells me that. So let's pray. Father God, we are thankful for this time where we can hear from your word. And may this word not return void. May it transform hearts so that we can be your vessels, your instruments, your tools of reconciliation in this world so that we may love others. Where others will have difficulty to love, but through you we can love others. Because it's only through that power of loving the hard, loving the unlovable, the world will know that the kind of love that we have is not one that is based on human abilities, but, uh, but dependent on supernatural powers that come from Jesus. So we thank you, Lord, for this, this opportunity to learn, to grow, and to, to express who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray, amen.